Hello and welcome to CX Conversations. This is your host Vivek bringing you CX lessons from CX leaders from around the world. Today in CX Conversations I am talking about how to balance between product, go to market, customer experience and business discipline in a startup. If you are a startup founder listening to this, you may disagree that a startup is about balancing product, go to market, customer experience and business discipline only. I agree that there are more balls to juggle but for the most part these will keep you occupied for a long time I'll be discussing how one can achieve that balance with our guest today Rohit Sen Rohit is the CEO and co-founder of Neera of a fintech startup that is on a mission to bring credit access to millions of underserved Indians Rohit has around 12 years of experience working in financial services industry with brands like Citigroup, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs in the UK. Although he could pass as an Indian by name, Rohit was actually born and brought up in the UK, an alum from the University of Oxford and London School of Economics. Rohit decided to pursue his dream and move to India in 2016 to start Neera. We met at a friend's party and talked a bunch about entrepreneurship and how to manage the ups and downs in this journey. Rohit explained how his workout routine actually helps him get over the stress and I knew that today's topic was worth discussing with him on this podcast. It's great that he agreed to talk with me. Rohit, welcome to CX Conversations. Thanks for having me, Vivek. Uh, I didn't expect we'd end up doing a podcast together when we met, but here we are. Yeah, and thanks for agreeing for this. <laughs> so Rohit, in a recent article on LinkedIn, you've shared your journey as an outsider in India. You've built a strong case that being an outsider may be actually your true competitive advantage in solving the problem of credit accessibility here. And I was just reading that and I realized that given your position with several years of experience in credit and risk and having observed the fintech market in London so closely, it would have been easy to dismiss the feedback you were receiving. Instead, you made the effort to read and learn about india and about your customers which is incredible to be honest talk to us about your journey since you started neera and in particular about how you managed to catch the signal from the noise in all the feedback that you've been receiving yeah sure i actually think we need to start at the point i arrived in india which was before neera all right then it was just me with my idea and as you say while i had a lot of experience in credit the reality was i didn't know anything about the financial landscape in india i didn't know what an nbfc was i didn't know who the banks were serving and who they weren't i didn't know how they underwrite so i was pretty clueless actually so i think it was important to recognize this knowledge gap and not go too gung ho i didn't want to be the dumb foreign guy that thinks he's seen it all before and got the answer I mean as you know India is a complex place and so I took my time to try to build this understanding so as well as reading a bunch of books on contemporary indian history and politics and economics I spent a bunch of time just basically meeting as many people as possible and just asking questions and the mm. thing is I'm pretty nosy so this came pretty naturally <laughs> so I met people from banks from nbfcs investors other entrepreneurs and of course there were a lot of people whom i thought could one day be my customer okay. and i think those were probably the most interesting conversations actually 
And this was happening while you already had the idea of starting Nira. Yeah, so I had like this grand plan, but it was more of a 50,000 foot view. To really execute, you need to be a lot closer to the ground to have those unique insights. Exercise is really about being on the ground, seeing what's going on and developing that mental model of how it all fits together. That's wonderful, yeah. So if I think about life after Nira then, or once it started, as you say, there's all kinds of information coming at you. Uh, So it's crucial to have a clear sight of what's going on. One way of doing this is being very data-driven. So monitoring key metrics, using those to inform you where your business is going and it's in the right direction. But I actually think that the best thing to do is just to keep talking to customers, get their feedback, ask them questions, watch them use their product. So the main point is, I think, even though everyone keeps talking about big data, not everything can be seen in a spreadsheet. And particularly context, I think that's what's missing. So... The signal from the noise is actually just talking to the customers. The picture comes very clear, just talking to customers. Great. That's wonderful. And I've also heard you talk a bunch about staying disciplined in business. Yeah. Could you talk about the various forces that you also realized as a startup founder that any founder has to tackle in order to maintain business discipline? Yeah. And also, please share some of the tactics that you apply at Nira to stay disciplined. Okay. So you mentioned I was in financial markets, but I was actually a trader. So my job was literally to be disciplined with risk. That was my job. But in the context of a startup founder, it's different. So here, you're excited about your business. You want to conquer the world. And in India in particular, there's so much opportunity. There's so many things you can be doing. It's easy to get pulled in multiple directions. And if I was honest, in the early days, I was guilty of this too. I saw many like, exciting business lines that we could build, and I wanted to keep my optionality open by trying all of them. But the trouble is you end up getting spread too thin, and then you don't become good at any of them. So I think it's really important to know what you want to focus on and just do that. To become a great company, you have to be the best at something. Yeah. So over time, I've learned to say no. And now I say no a lot more than I say yes. Other element, which is important, is discipline about finances. There's a lot of investor money sloshing around these days, and they're all pushing for growth. So the focus is on showing top line growth, and it can often be through just throwing money at customers. We see it all the time. True. And you can understand why founders do it. In markets where there's only space for a few players, Yeah, it's a sexy thing to do, right? Well, investors reward this. They reward this behavior, right? Yeah. So the founder is just optimizing for the incentives presented to them. All I would say is that the good times don't always continue forever. I mean, I've been through, when I was a trader, like I went through the the big mortgage crisis or the Great Recession, as they call it. I went through the sovereign debt crisis. I mean, good times do not continue forever. That's just a fact of life. So when things change, because they will, you need to have a solid foundation to stand on. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. So I think those are the two key elements. That's quite an interesting point, Rohit. And I just want to kind of pick your brain on that because all of the factors that you've mentioned are 
definitely going to cause someone to get sidelined into doing things or getting out of discipline, right? Yeah. Now, how do you at that point in time when you have investors' money and the investors asking you to throw the money at your customers to acquire and grow, mm. how do you at that point in time decide to stay disciplined and be more prudent about how you grow? I think you have to remember that this is your business, right? An investor, like I say a VC, they'll make multiple bets and they need one of them to really hit the home run. And if a number of businesses in their portfolio fail, that's okay, as long as they can still make their numbers. But in your case, you've got all your eggs in that one basket, that one business. So you've got to be really clear on what is my business model? How is this business going to survive? And what am I going to do if that investor is not there? You have to walk this tightrope between yeah. growth and you know, discipline. True. And it's a constant thing. You've got to be questioning yourself all the time of finding that balance. How did you do this? So in our case, the way the balance works is on one side, you want to grow. On the other side, because we're lending, I've got to make sure my defaults are not too high, right? I can't True. give out bad loans. So... You have to, I would say, be constantly communicating of, hey, I'm actually not pushing too hard for this reason, because it's easy in our case to give out money. Like lending is a unique business in the sense that there's infinite demand for the product. The product is money. Yeah. The business only works if you get the money coming back. Like if I wanted to hand out money, I could just stand on the street and hand out 500 rupee notes. Yeah. And you'll find more takers. Yeah, there there's always takers. So I think it's constant communication with the investor about what the levers of success are or what the drivers of success are and being very clear. I mean, ultimately, they're investing in you. So you have to be communicating and being resolute what matters in your business because you're the subject matter expert. That's why they're asking you, right? Perfect. Yes, that's great. So now we all understand that customer experience is crucial for a new entrant like Neera yeah. to acquire new clients. However, I'm also realizing that CX, as it stands, has also become the most overused buzzword these days. How do you make sure that CX is more than just a buzzword at Neera? And what are some of the things that you're doing at Neera to deliver a differentiated CX? Yeah, it starts from you as a founder. I mean, particularly as an early stage company that's even more important. So the first thing is like my co-founder and I set aside some time to speak to customers every single day. And I haven't come across a better use of time. So I mean, let's be honest, I'm a guy that used to be a trader at Goldman Sachs. My life is very different to someone who earns 15K a month as a security guard. So the only way for me to understand their context is to keep talking to them and be open-minded. But beyond that, when you have to inculcate the notion of customers first to everyone in your team. So we talk about it to all the new employees. I'm constantly demanding answers into why a customer has given us a bad review and what are we going to do about it. I want everyone to be obsessed with customer happiness. Hmm. Now, of course, some people will care more than others about this. So. We have to empower those people who really care about the customer. So we give them promotions. I give them hikes. We celebrate the customer success stories that they bring. 
So in short, it's actually show, it's the priority of the company, not just words, you actually show it. And the others pretty soon take notice of that. One other little thing we do is when we have our team meetings, we have someone represent the customer in those internal meetings. That's interesting. And we say like, you know, their job is to present what they think the customer would be thinking about the ideas that we're deliberating. I get someone from my customer support team to do this because I think they're the ones that's most connected to the customer. True. What I don't think good service is about is doing big giveaways. What does that mean? You know, like, uh, I mean, you see so many brands now because they've got so much money that it's basically throwing gifts or cashbacks at customers. So that's what I mean. So instead, what I think service is about is delivering what the customer wants. A prime example, and I've seen, you know, seen here in India, is Indigo Airlines. When they don't have any fancy frills, but everyone loves them because they're, just, they're on time. That's what you want as a traveler. Yeah. But overall, I would say, like, I'll be honest, my basic view is that customer experience in India is pretty bad. And the reason is the agents who you're normally dealing with on the phone receive low quality training and they, they're told to just follow scripts. You're, I'm sure you've experienced it. It can be pretty infuriating, right? I know. And Rohit, that was the reason for me to start this entire thing. Yeah. My entire company was founded because of my frustration of dealing with bad customer experiences exactly. as a customer. I mentioned this because I remember you saying that at that party. So I actually think what is good service when it comes down to it? Just give the customer a straightforward answer, treat them with respect. And if you do that, you'll get a great response. And it's true. It's, it kind of boils down to the training that that specific agent or yeah. for that matter, any agent, any person talking to a customer has received from the company. So it ultimately boils down, like you mentioned, to the founders. How much are they focusing and investing in these little things that are ultimately going to improve the customer's experience? Another thing that I've also thought about in terms of really making this work is, you know, like I was saying, you have to let the, let the agent have some discretion or to figure stuff out. Yeah. Okay, this is the right solution for you. I can see your problem and this is how we're going to fix it. So don't follow that script. Now that requires, I would say, a slightly higher caliber of person than what we often see in customer service reps here. True. And I'm like, well, if that means we have to pay a little bit more money, I'm okay with that because I think it makes such a difference to the outcome in terms of customer success. I agree. And while it's easier to look at your customer service agents as the custodians of uh, customer experience in your company, I'm sure it's got to do a lot more with the rest of the team also. How do you make sure that everyone else in the company is also focused on delivering customer experience? Let's take an example of your product team, for instance. Yeah. What do you do with your product team in terms of the kind of initiatives that ensures that those guys are also focusing on customer experience? Actually, it goes beyond products. I mean, even engineering, right? True. So, we basically insist that everyone has to talk to customers. So product, by definition, needs to understand the customer. But even an engineer, if they're building for this customer, how can you know what's going to be best for the customer if you don't know who that customer is? And our customer is, they're different to people in the team. They're 
from a different situation. So you have to get to know them. So we insist on all people speaking to customers. We often do a lot of offline type activities where we go and meet customers. But then we also do events where we invite customers to our office or we hold an event where we invite customers and then the whole team's there. And that way we all get to interact with the customer. And how often do you do this? We try to do it once a month. Okay, wonderful. Can you share some kind of, uh, because I can imagine this is a very unique experience for employees mm. to be directly interacting with the end user, which rarely happens from a developer's standpoint. I've been a developer myself and I've never had a chance to look at how my end user is utilizing the software that I have developed. Yeah. So can you share some kind of insights or feedbacks that you've received from your team members coming out of those experiences? Rather than feedback, I'll just tell you about the observations I've made, right? Yes. So you just talked about an, an engineering or developer's perspective about, hey, let me see the customer use the app. Now, that's one part of it. But what's actually been more interesting has been seeing them getting an understanding of the customer persona. Mm. So a customer isn't someone who's just using your app, or in our case, a customer isn't someone who's just taking a loan. A customer is a person who's got their whole context behind them. So actually what these events do is help us build that mental picture of the life of the customer, not just the loan, but their whole, con their whole life. Like where do they live? What does their home life look like? Where do they wake up in the morning? Who's in the house with them? How do they get to work? What do they have for breakfast? What's their typical day like? Who are their friends? Where do they go out? What do they like eating? What do they like watching movies? The whole thing. And when you have this broader context, whether you're a developer or a product person or a growth person, you're able to come up with more relevant ideas for your customers. True. I think that's been the biggest shift. It's not like, oh, let me just tweak this button or should we do some experiments and changing that color? It's like, hey, I know this customer's like this, doing something totally wrong. We need to change this. That's nice. And what is those questions that you just mentioned, Rohit? Yeah. They are very pertinent. And I can imagine the data that you get out of the answers from those questions would be very insightful. Yeah. How do you get that information out of your customers? I'm, are you running some kind of a survey? Or is it like, I hope it's not happening in a face-to-face -face interview or something. But I'm just curious, how do you get that out of the customers that you meet? Well, actually, it's all of the above. And the starting point is actually face-to-face. -face. Okay. So when we were thinking, heck, we need to get to know our customers better. Is it that structured? Like, do you sit down with your customers and ask those questions or is it more conversational? More, just no, it's conversational, right? So we'll say, let's do a lunch and then we invite a bunch of customers and we'll say, okay, we're going to give you lunch. Just please come and join us and we'll just like to have a conversation. And... The conversation just flows, and in, in, in that time, you get to understand who they are, who their family is, what's their story. Oh, you've come, you're a security guard, and you've come from Orissa, and you're now living in Bangalore. Who are you living with? Where are you living? Oh, are you, mm. you're with some other security guards. Are they also, oh, they're from the same town as well. Okay. And, you know, you build this picture of who they are. You say things like, oh, what do you want to do eventually? Do you want to stay in Bangalore? Do you want to go home? What's your dreams? So it starts off face-to-face, -face, and then you get these, I guess, key, key insights or cues 
Yeah. Thereafter, you're like, okay, well, I need to see if this is true on a wider level. So that's when we can start doing these sorts of online polls or questionnaires where we can ask some more pointed questions and you can get a sample set of a few hundred instead of maybe, say, 20 okay. and see if the same sorts of pattern applies on a bigger set. Nice. And the conversations or rather the data that you've captured through those uh, conversations at the lunch, yeah. do you make it a point to kind of record that somewhere? Or is it just left to the memories of people? So it's not a taped recording, but what right. we normally do afterwards is write down, say, the key points. I'm not there recording it. I mean, sometimes someone in the team is writing some stuff down because it's impossible to remember everything. True. But you know, certainly within 24 hours, we want to have written down like the key takeaways. Otherwise, we'll forget stuff. Yeah, so that's quite helpful because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to learn this methodology of understanding your customers from this conversation. And that's quite interesting. Now, I also reckon that Nira is loved by its customers. I have seen customer testimonial videos where your customers exclaim how easy it is to use Nira. I can also imagine that as you acquire more customers from different demographies, new product use cases would surface. You're also looking at new market segments to launch your product. I'm pretty sure about that as well. Tell us how you maintain a balance between what you need to do in the product from these use cases that are coming up to going to market to into these new segments and new, new industries, as well as balancing the customer's experience and the business discipline that you just talked about. So how do you balance up between all of these different choices in such a situation? Yeah, so, you know, you know we're talking earlier about customer first or actually institutionalizing this idea. Right? So even here, when you're trying to seek this balance, we start with the customer. All right. From there, I think a lot of these other facets fall into place. So we start with customer experience. And there, there's basically no room for compromise. We just have to deliver. So we say this is true if we have one customer or one million customers. There, no excuses. One thing I would say, though, is like, say, particularly in Bangalore, since there are so many tech startups, I think yeah. we sometimes over-engineer on product. So it really depends on what the customer actually wants. So in our case, they basically just want money in a timely way, and they don't really care that much if we have a fancy app as long as we deliver. Mm. In other ventures where the product is your business, there, of course, there will be a different calculus. So... Start with the customer. If the product is important to them, then give it more attention. Otherwise, it's not actually that important. And the sort of, you know, you mentioned go-to-market, business discipline. I think they're actually quite related to each other. So what I mean by that is at the beginning, you know, you'll try a lot of different strategies. And after some time, you'll hopefully figure out whether you have product market fit. That will inform your go-to-market strategy. And if you have product market fit, then you can grow with good discipline because your business is working. But if you're having to throw money at the customer, then you probably don't have product market fit. So I would say in summary, you of course have to balance all these things. But I think focusing on what the customer wants will help you determine how to prioritize. But basically, the customer is the most important stakeholder. And in a way, what you're saying is focusing on the customer 
will be your balancing stick yeah, in a way. Exactly. Nice. So that's awesome. And uh, thanks for sharing that, Rohit. Time for some rapid fire questions now. Okay. All right. So which non-business book would you recommend someone and why? I would simply recommend, I would say my favorite book of all time, which is 1984. Wow. I mean, I read it nearly 15 years ago now, and it blew my mind. It is, yeah. When you think about the world around us today, I think it will still blow anyone else's mind too. Yeah. So it's got nothing to do with business, but it's just so insightful And when you think it was written nearly 100 years ago. True. That's a wonderful recommendation. It's one of my favorite books as well. Yeah. So which business leader do you follow and uh, what have you learned from him or her? I'm going to say two, two business leaders. Sure. So one is a fintech leader and this person is called David Velez. So he's the CEO of a Brazilian fintech company called Nubank, N-U Bank, Nubank. And what I think he's done incredibly well is nailed the key proposition to his customer, right? So in Brazil, there was this big thing about banks are very opaque, there's no transparency, they're vague, and they're just charging too much. So he's built an incredible business focused solely on transparency as the key deliverable to the customer. And because it's resonated so strongly, it's absolutely exploding with, from a growth perspective. Nice. The other one I would say is here in India. It's the founder of Misho, so Vidit is his name. And I had the opportunity to meet him when we did the Techstars program earlier this year. He was one of the guest speakers there. And again, he's just got this incredible focus on customer. He talks to so many customers. All his insights come from customers. And even today, on his phone, or his personal phone, he has his top 2,000 customers on his WhatsApp. He's got a, you know, a massive business, but he's still talking to these guys every single day. And nice. what that means is he gets real-time feedback on his business. So he's telling us about an example where you know, something wasn't working on the site. He knew within five minutes because a customer pinged him on WhatsApp. So he was able to iterate or fix it very quickly. So I would say basically all the things I've been talking about so far in terms of customer focus, he's actually been able to execute it to a really high level. Nice. Now, what business lessons have you learned or rather from your earlier experiences that have helped you most at Nira? Yeah, so being a trader for 12 years has actually prepared me, I think, pretty well for the chaotic life being a startup. <laughs> so I would say there's a number of things, things like... Uh, having to make decisions with incomplete information. I am used to not knowing the future and having to take a call on things. Having to manage rapidly changing circumstances, again, is something that's had to do over and over again. Synthesizing a lot of information and picking out what matters and what does not. And there are some other things which I would say, there's one other thing which is less obvious to the outsider, People normally think a trader is someone who's just looking at screens all day and saying buy or sell. Yeah. But actually, one other skill I developed was pitching or communicating. True. So even though I was a trader, I would spend considerable amount of time talking on the phone to clients, meeting them in person, presenting. So 
I actually got pretty versed at doing those things. And then lastly, it goes without saying, dealing with stress. Trading is incredibly stressful and yeah. I can't think of any better preparation than that for this. Do you find trading was more stressful than uh, being an entrepreneur or is it the other way around? Uh, it's a different kind of stress, particularly in 2008 when we were in the height of the financial crisis. Yeah, that was a different kind of stress. That was really bad in the sense that, I mean, there were a couple of times I almost threw up on my desk because it was so stressful. Yeah. There was one time I was like, I can't take this anymore. And I just walked off the floor thinking I'm going to quit. And then somehow persuaded myself not to at the last minute. Wow. But the difference there is, I mean, you're still getting your paycheck. The worst that's going to happen is you just lose your job, right? Yeah. When you're in a startup, I would say the emotional volatility is a lot higher. Mm. And you have a lot more existential crises. So one minute you're on top of the world, then the next minute you think you're absolutely screwed. True. I've got used to now thinking, if things are going well, Soon enough, things will go badly. Yeah, don't celebrate soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then when things are going badly, just keep going because things will turn around. So yeah. just you know, celebrate the small wins when you get them, but you're going to be up against it pretty soon. Nice. That's wonderful, Rohit. I think that's a very good closing sentence, I must say. And with that, we've also come to the end of this podcast. Once again, thank you so much for spending a great conversation with me. And thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks. And to all our listeners, this is Vivek signing off from another CX Conversations. Until next time, bye.